The final mission of the Masechta continues the discussion of Teshuva, repenting, and this relatively famous Mishnah tells us that Ha'ayme one who says, says to himself, I will sin and I will do Teshuva, I will sin and I will do Teshuva. So he does this, let's say, at least twice. He sins and he has the intention to repent once he sins. Once he's already done that twice, in speaking with the last Teshuva, Hashem does not send the possibility and send the assistance into his hand to do Teshuva. Now that does not mean that it's impossible to do Teshuva for such a sin. It is always possible to do Teshuva, and in fact Hashem is always calling upon us to do Teshuva. What the Mishnah means is that Hashem does not assist one in doing Teshuva, he does not make it necessarily easy to do Teshuva, and it will be harder for you to do Teshuva, but it is always possible. Similarly, if somebody says, I will sin, and Yom Kippur will atone for my sin. If he does that, then Yom Kippur will not atone for his sin. And again, what this means is that it will not be easy for him to atone on Yom Kippur, to do Teshuvah on Yom Kippur, and he might find it particularly difficult. However, it is always possible to do Teshuvah both on Yom Kippur and throughout the year. Continues the Mishnah, Sins which are between man and Hashem, Yom Kippur Mechaper, for those sins, Yom Kippur atones. However, sins which are between man and his friend. If somebody harmed or hurt another person, says the Mishnah, Yom Kippur does not provide an atonement until he appeases his friend, until he makes up with his friend, and asks for his forgiveness. If, let's say, somebody stole money from somebody, even if he gives back that money, he even he still needs to ask for his forgiveness. And if one does not make up with other people before Yom Kippur, then Yom Kippur itself will not atone for that sin either. There are those who understand the Mishnah's implication to be even stronger, that if one does not make up with his friends before Yom Kippur, then Yom Kippur does not atone even for sins which are between Adam and Mokayim. Even for sins which are between you and Hashem, Hashem says that if you don't make up between each other, if there isn't peace between man and man, then even the sins which you sinned against me, I will not atone. That's how important it is to make up with friends and make sure one gains forgiveness from everybody else before Yom Kippur arrives. This teaching Rabbi Lozman Azariah learnt from Pesukim, and that is that it says with regards to Yom Kippur, You will be purified from all of your sins in front of Hashem. What does it mean in front of Hashem? So, so Rabbi Lozman Azariah explains, Sins which are between man and Hashem, things that you did lift Hashem in front of Hashem, for that, Yom Kippur provides an atonement. However, Sins which are done between man and another person, Yom Kippur does not atone for that, until he makes up with his friend and gains forgiveness from him. Ends off in Masechta in a beautiful way. Omar Biakiva, Biakiva said, Ashrechem Yisrael. Happy are you, praiseworthy are you, Yisrael. You are so fortunate. In front of whom are you purified on your Kippur? Mimitar Eschem, who purifies you? Avichem Shbashumayim, your father in heaven, Shalem, as the Posuk says, and I will throw upon you purifying waters, and you'll become pure. The Omer, the Posuk also says, Mikve Yisrael Hashem. Hashem is like a mikveh of the Jewish people. What does that mean? Ma mikveh metaris just like a mikveh purifies people who are tome. The law is that if somebody is tome, in order to become pure again, he needs to go into a mikveh. So too says the Mishnah Afakadish Baruchu, so too Hashem, Metaris Israel, he purifies the Jewish people, especially on Yom Kippur, just like a mikveh. Now we begin Mesechah Sukkah, which is the first of a number of shorter Mesechahs in Seder Moed. 
There are five prokim in Masechah Sukkah, and of course the focus of the Masechah is the Yom Tov of Sukkah. Only the first two prokim discuss the actual mitzvah of Sukkah itself, making and sitting in a Sukkah over Sukkah. The third and first half of the fourth perek discuss the Abraminim, the Lul of Esrog Hadasman Aravis, and then the last perek, perek and a half, discuss the Nisuchamayim, which was a special process which was done on Sukkot, where water was drawn from the Meishloyach, the spring of water known as the Shloach Spring, which was next to the Mesamikdash. They filled up a golden jug with that water, brought it to the Mizbeach, poured it onto the Mizbeach, and there was very great rejoicing over this service. And because of this, there was what was known as Simchas Pesach Eva, which was when there would be lots of dancing and a great amount of rejoicing when the Nisuch Hamayim was performed. And then the last three Mishnahites of the Masechta discussed the Korbanos which are brought on Sukkot. So we begin with the Mishnah Aleph, the laws of the Sukkah itself, and the Mishnah tells us that Sukkot Shigvel Manam Esim Amar, a Sukkah which is taller than 20 Amas, meaning the Sukkah itself is more than 20 Amas above the ground, Pasula, that Sukkah, that Sukkah is considered invalid, one reason being that the Torah says, that you will dwell in huts for seven days. A hut, a Sukkah, is by definition, something temporary, something which will last at least seven days, and it's only made to last seven days. Now, any structure which is more than 20 amas tall, by definition, requires that the walls be made of very strong material, or at least have strong foundations. They have to be made in quite a permanent way. So though if you have, let's say, a 10 amas high sukkah, and it can be made out of bricks, and it could be the most permanent structure in the world, but since the height doesn't require that it be permanent, you could have made it very flimsily with some sort of plastic material, given the height that it is. So in that case, even if you do make it out of bricks, or it's let's say an indoor sukkah like many people have nowadays, in that case it is still considered a valid sukkah, because the height does not necessitate a permanent structure. However, if the sukkah is more than 20 amas high, then the only way to make a more than 20 amas high sukkah is to make permanent walls, or walls which are made in a in a way that it was meant to last for a long time. And so because of that, such a sukkah would be invalid, because it is by definition a permanent structure and not a temporary one. However, Rabbi Huda Marsha, Rabbi Huda says that such a sukkah is valid, because Rabbi Huda actually understands the exact opposite of the Tanakama. According to Rabbi Huda, a sukkah has to be made in a way which is meant to last permanently. The Tanakama holds that a sukkah is supposed to be a diras arai, a temporary place of living. You're supposed to go out of your permanent living place and live in a more temporary place for a week. However, contrary to Huda, the exact opposite is true. You are supposed to set up a diras keva, a permanent place of living, and live there for a week. That's because of that, certainly if it is more than 20 amas, it would be valid. Continues the Mishnah, If the sukkah is not at least 10 tfachim high, so the schach is within 10 tfachim from the ground, that is an extremely low sukkah, and it is not considered to be valid. It is learnt from psukim that the obligation of living in a sukkah for sukkahs is teishvu ke'en toduru, that you should live in this place for a week, in the same way as you would live in your house during the rest of the year. So if it's extremely difficult to live in this place for a week, such that if it was during the rest of the week of the year, you would probably leave your house because of it, so that is not considered to be a valid sukkah, because it is so difficult to live there and barely considered to be a living place. So such a sukkah is invalid, 
Also, if the sukkah does not have at least three walls, then it is also considered to be invalid. This is learnt from Pesukim, the Torah says the word sukkahis. When talking about the mitzvah to sit in sukkahs and live in sukkahs for the week of sukkahs, so the Torah says the word sukkahis three times, and twice it is spelt without a vav. It is spelt samach kaf tof, and once it's spelt with a vav, sukkahis. Now the first time the word is mentioned, of course that is necessary to write the word, in order to teach you what exactly a sukkah is. The word sukkah is, comes from the word schach, that's the main part of the sukkah, the bit at the top which covers and provides shade. So the first time the Pesach mentions sukkah is, that is necessary to teach you about that, about the schach. The remaining two words sukkah is, come to teach us how many walls are necessary for the sukkah. Now sukkah is spelt without a vav is as if it was written sukkas, which is the singular for a sukkah. So that is one, it's in the singular, but the last time that it is written sukkais is with a vav. Sukkais, which is in the plural, which implies that there are two. So one plus two is three, and that is how we learn that one needs at least three walls for the sukkah in order for it to be valid. Now the truth is the third wall does not actually have to be a full wall, and there are two different ways in which it can be made, in which less than a full wall has to be made. The minimum width for each wall is technically seven tfachim. And that minimum applies to at least two of the walls. But when it comes to the third wall, it depends. If the first two walls were in a right angle, so they were set up next to each other, not opposite each other, but two sides of the of the sukkah next to each other, in sort of an L shape. This is shown in diagram number one. And in such a case, the third wall only needs to be slightly more than one tefach wide. How so? So we come to the principle known as lovud. Lovud is a halacha Moshe Sinai. It's a tradition which we have going back to Moshe from Sinai that an item which is fixed within three tfochim of another item is considered attached to that item and we view it as if there is not a gap between the two items. So in this case, if a piece of wood, let's say, if a beam which is slightly more than a tefach wide is placed within three tfachim, sort of at the edge of three tfachim of one of the full walls. So there's less than three tfachim between the beam and the wall, so it's considered to be totally connected. So that is already viewed as a four tfachim wide wall. Slightly less than three tfachim, plus slightly more than one tefach, that's a four tfachim wall already. Now since four tfachim is the majority of seven tfachim, that is technically enough, and Midoraisa is already considered to be three walls and a valid sukkah. However, Midorabonon, one has to add a tsurasa pesach, a door frame for the rest of the width of that side. So if you look on the diagram, you see you've got an L shape of two full walls, and then opposite one of those walls, and next to the other one, you leave a three tfoche, a slightly less than three tfoche gap, and then you've got a beam which is slightly more than one tefach, and then for the remaining three tfochim, one needs to put a small horizontal beam at the top, and then a sort of pole or another beam at the edge of those seven tfochim, or the edge of these three tfochim really, in total seven, and as for another diagram, you've now got this sort of door frame with a vertical beam and a horizontal beam, which can be as thin as you like, and then with the one with the slightly more than one tefach beam, so those all together make a door frame. And the reason why this is required with Rabbanon is so that we literally view this as a full wall. It's a full wall, but with a door in, an entrance to get in and out. So that is one way that the third wall does not have to be a full wall. Another way is if the two full walls are not in an L shape, but rather as shown in diagram number two for this Mishnah, 
the two full walls are opposite each other, they're parallel to each other. And then in between them, on one of the sides, there is this third wall. So I would have thought, based on what we've said until now, that I could just put a single beam in the middle and make this beam slightly more than one tefach, one tefach wide, and then there would be less than three tefachim on either side, and I would view that beam to be attached to either of the other walls, and it would be valid that way. However, the Gemara explains that in this case you can't do that, it's not so simple, because in the previous Mishnah, the two full walls were already connected to each other. So it's already considered to be part of, sort of the beginning of a real building, of a real sukkah, they're already connected. So in that case, you can start using Lovud, and it will be a valid sukkah. However, in this case, the two full walls, without a third wall, have no connection with each other. They're just two walls which are, which are sort of opposite each other. They're not part of a building or anything. They're not part of the same sukkah. So it follows that the function of the third wall is not only to serve as a third wall, but also to connect the two other full walls. And in order to connect the two other full walls, Lovud is not enough. Rather, the actual wall has to be wider. Now, it still does not have to be the full seven Tfachim wide. Rather, it has to be at least four Tfachim, or slightly more than four Tfachim, such that there would be less than three Tfachim gap to one of the walls. So you would use Lovud as well to, let's say, one of the walls. And then, since the third wall itself is considered significant, it would connect the other two walls, and you would now have a sukkah of three walls. Now, even if the third wall in this second case does not reach all the way to the other, to one of the walls, it's still valid, because you've got four tfachim of the actual wall, or just over four tfachim, plus just under three tfachim of the lovered area, that's already seven tfachim, in which case it's already considered a full third wall. So you've already got three walls, but you've got bonon. Also in this case, you would need to add a tzrosa pesach, a sort of door frame, so again a horizontal pole or a horizontal beam reaching to the other wall, and again this is shown in diagram number two for this Mishnah. So again, the Mishnah says, if the sukkah does not have at least three walls, in one of the ways we just described, then it would be an invalid sukkah, or if the amount of sun coming through into the sukkah is more than the amount of shade, so the sukkah does not cover the majority of the roof of the sukkah, the sukkah is the main part of the sukkah, hence the name sukkah, which comes from the word sukkah. So if the majority of the top of the sukkah is not covered by the sukkah, then it is also considered pasula, an invalid sukkah. The second half of this mission discusses sukkah which literally means an old sukkah, and we're referring to a sukkah which was made not for the sake of the sukkah of the mitzvah. Now when it comes to the walls of a sukkah, they do not need to be built for the sake of a sukkah. In fact, nowadays, many people have indoor sukkahs where the walls were not made for the sake of the sukkah. The walls were made for the sake of the house. However, the sukkah of the sukkah, that does need to be placed down for the sake of the mitzvah of sukkahs. For the sake of making a sukkah of the mitzvah. So a sukkah yashonah, an old sukkah, refers to a sukkah where the sukkah was placed there for shade and not for the sake of creating a sukkah for the mitzvah of sukkahs. So such a sukkah, such sukkah, b'shamay poislim, b'shamay say is invalid, b'shamay marshirin, b'shamay say it's valid, even if the sukkah was originally placed there for regular shade and not for the sake of a sukkah. There is a sukkah what is considered to be a sukkah, where we assume that the sukkah was not placed for the sake of the sukkah, but rather for regular shade. 
any sukkah which was placed there more than 30 days before sukkah, unless he explicitly had the intention and said that he was doing it for the sake of sukkah, otherwise we assume that it was for the sake of regular shade, and so according to his shower would be invalid. On the other hand, if he did it within 30 days before sukkah, even if he didn't explicitly say that he is doing it for the sake of the mitzvah, since 30 days before Yom Tov one is supposed to start learning about the laws of the Yom Tov, one is already involved in the preparations for the Yom Tov, so we assume, even if he did not explicitly have that intention, we assume that he did it for the sake of the sukkah of the mitzvah. But if he put the sukkah there and said explicitly that he is doing it for the sake of the sukkah of sukkahs, then even if from the beginning of the year, even if it was more than 30 days before sukkahs, kashayra is nevertheless valid since it was placed there for the sake of the sukkah of the mitzvah of sukkahs. Mr. Beis, one who makes his sukkah, his sukkah, underneath a tree, meaning the branches of a tree lean over the sukkah and cover over it. And we're talking about a case where the branches cover a majority of the sukkah. So since the branches, as long as they are still attached to the ground, are invalid sukkah, it's as if you made a sukkah inside the house, with the roof of the house above the sukkah. In which case, certainly it will be invalid, because the sukkah has to be the thing which is providing the shade, and not anything above it. Now we learned in Mishnah Aleph, a machlikas between the Tanakama and Rabbi Yehuda. According to the Tanakama, a sukkah is supposed to be a diras arai, a temporary place of living, whereas according to Rabbi Yehuda, it's supposed to be a diras keva, a fixed place of living, somewhere where it is fitting to live there permanently. So the second half of this Mishnah will discuss a ramification of that machlekes, and the case is sukkah gabi sukkah, where you have one sukkah above another sukkah. So the sukkah of the bottom sukkah is sort of the floor of the top sukkah. So based on what we just learned in the first half of the Mishnah, if we were to consider the top sukkah to be a valid sukkah and a place of living, so that means concerning the bottom sukkah, it has something above its sukkah, and so the bottom sukkah would be invalid. However, if the top sukkah is not considered to be a valid sukkah, then the bottom one is valid, because it's no longer considered to be a sukkah underneath another sukkah. Here, the sukkah of the top sukkah does not invalidate the bottom sukkah. The only validation is the fact that you've got a sukkah above another sukkah. It is learned from Pesukim that to have a sukkah above another sukkah makes the bottom one invalid. But this is a different problem to the first half of the Mishnah. The first half of the Mishnah was like making a sukkah inside a house, because the tree being above the sukkah, the tree's branches are invalid for sukkah, because they are still attached to the ground. On the other hand, in our case, the sukkah of the top sukkah is not invalid sukkah, it's just the fact that you've got sukkah above other sukkah. It follows that if the top sukkah is not a valid sukkah, that means that the top sukkah sukkah is not considered sukkah. It is valid sukkah, but it's not being used as sukkah because the entire sukkah at the top is invalid. And in that case, the bottom sukkah would be considered a valid sukkah. Now, the case of the Mishnah is where the bottom sukkah sukkah is just about strong enough to hold the utensils of the top sukkah. If people start walking on the top sukkah, then it won't be strong enough for that, but it's just not, it's just about strong enough to hold some utensils in the top sukkah. So it's not fit for holding things there permanently, but you know, for a week it will work. So that means that the top sukkah is considered to be a temporary place of living. So according to the Chachomim, the top sukkah is considered valid, in which case the bottom sukkah will be considered invalid, whereas according to Yehuda, it's the exact opposite. The top sukkah is invalid because it is considered a temporary dwelling and not a permanent place of living. 
But since the top sukkah is invalid, the bottom sukkah is considered valid. So the Mishnah says, Sukkah gabi sukkah. If you have one sukkah above another sukkah, and as we explained, the sukkah of the bottom sukkah serves as a sort of weak floor which can only just about hold some things in the top sukkah. So according to the Chachomim, the Tanakama, Halyona Kashira, the top sukkah is valid and therefore Vatachtoina Pasula, the bottom sukkah is invalid. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says, in Eidiyurim Ba'alyona, if people are not able to live in the top sukkah, because the Sukkah of the bottom sukkah, which is the floor of the top sukkah, is too weak, then Hatachtoina Kashira, then the bottom sukkah is valid as we explained. Mr. Gimbal, Peresadel Sodin, if he spread over the Sukkah, a sheet because of the sun. If let's say even after the sukkah was put on the roof and there was more shade than sun, nevertheless the sun still bothered people and so the person placed a sheet above the sukkah in order to block out the sun even more. A tachteha or he spread a sheet underneath the sukkah because of the falling leaves to catch them in the sheet. Now the sheet is certainly invalid sukkah and it is now either above the schach or below the schach, but either way, the schach is not the only thing providing the shade. There's sort of another roof of invalid schach. Or if he spread the sheet above a four-posted bed, in these three cases, basula, it is invalid, and then for the first two cases, what that means is the entire sukkah is invalid. And in the third case, that means that somebody cannot sit on the bed, and he can't sleep on the bed, because if you are in the bed in the sukkah, so you are considered to be not as part of the sukkah because you have a different roof above you as well as the sukkah. But of course the rest of the sukkah would remain valid. And the Mishnah ends off, One is allowed to spread a sheet over a two-poster bed. That's a bed which has two posts. One at the top of the bed where one's head is, in the center, and one at the end of the bed opposite it. And there would be some sort of beam going from one post to the other. And you are allowed to spread a sheet over it so that it would drape down over the bed, since the top of the sheet would be less than a tefach wide. So it's not considered to be another roof. Halachically, a roof is only considered to be something which is at least a tefach wide. So in that case, you would be able to even eat on the bed, because the only roof which is above you is the sukkah.